Well, good morning, fellowship. Would you stand and worship with us?
Good morning. Welcome. You guys can be seated. And congratulations. You are the very select few who actually still know which day of the week it is because you showed up to church on a Sunday after a week of snowstorms. There you go. So, hi, I'm Jason McMahon. I'm our global outreach pastor here. This is Stuart Horner. Good morning, Fellowship. Good to see you. And Stuart is one of our global workers for the C.S. Lewis Institute. So, pro tip here. You're gonna to have to talk about what your favorite C.S. Lewis book is on the way home in the car, and you're not gonna be able to fake it anymore after today. So be ready for that, get your mindset. If you're new, um, we want you to feel a part here and belong here, and we wanna meet you out in the foyer at our center booth. And so we want this to be a place where you can belong and feel a part of what's going on in God's kingdom. Before we get to hear a little bit more from Stuart, I'm gonna make a few announcements, okay? So, Merge begins Sunday, February 19th, and so you can sign up online. And then, the next one, if you wait to the deadline to do things, anybody like that? I'm that way, I think deadlines mean something, and so deadlines are important. Today is your last day to get ready for Discover, because next week begins Discover. So if you're new and you would like to find out more about what this church is about, you need to sign up for Discover today. You can do that at the center booth at the back. And then we have a men's Bible study starting up February 21st in Springdale and February 22nd in Rogers. And so that's a great time for men to get together and uh, fellowship and hold each other accountable. But today, the most important reason why we're here is to hear from God and what's going on in his kingdom of the world. And so our good friend, Stuart, you're gonna to get to hear a lot of this beautiful accent from Northern Ireland, from Belfast, Northern Ireland, the birthplace of C.S. Lewis. And so Stuart is one of our global workers, thus me and him are up here together. And so we're gonna to get to hear a little bit of how this got started uh, in the C.S. Lewis Institute in Belfast. So. Can you just tell us that, Stuart, the story of how this all got started, the fellowship relationship, the C.S. Lewis Institute? Absolutely, Jason. Well, listen, first of all, thanks so much for having me here this morning. It's so good to be here at Fellowship Bible Church. I do feel at home because this is actually the third time that I've been here. Um, every time I come, there seems to be a snowstorm. So even though the, even though the snow's cold, the, we the welcome is always warm. So I really appreciate uh, being here with you this morning. Uh, but actually, uh, Jason mentioned that C.S. Lewis is the hometown of, or Belfast is the hometown of C.S. Lewis, but it actually took two retired eye doctors from Northwest Arkansas in Rogers to start the C.S. Lewis Institute in Belfast. And that's what happened in 2015. I just want Royce and Susan, would you mind standing up? So this is Royce and Susan Johnson, and they pioneered the work. Yeah. So having served as missionaries in Kenya, France, they, 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 they saved the best to last, and they came to Belfast. And they, and they came among us, and they brought the C.S. Lewis Institute to Belfast. So the C.S. Lewis Institute is a ministry that started in Washington, D.C., and is now in 17 cities across America, Toronto, and Canada, and it's in Belfast. And the whole idea of the C.S. Lewis Institute is to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who can articulate, defend, and live out their faith in public and private life. And the main way that we do that is through the Fellows Program. So the Fellows Program is a year-long intensive discipleship at apologetics program. And one of the brilliant things that I've found is we gather born-again believers from across the denominations in Northern Ireland to spend a year of teaching, mentoring, fellowship, 
growing, praying together, is that we have Christians from all denominations across our, our wee island. And actually, I do say wee island because it's not just Northern Ireland. We have folk from the Republic of Ireland who are coming up as well. So we're now in our seventh year of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Belfast. We've had over 200 people who have gone through our program, and we're just delighted to, to partner with Fellowship Bible Church because you guys minister not just on your doorstep, but across the world, and you mean that. Thank you. Yeah. Isn't that awesome to see Royce and Susan go from here? Yeah. To start this, and now we have a release leader of theirs up here on our stage. And so one of the cool things, I know you love that accent much better than my Southern Arkansas accent. You're gonna get to hear more from him co-teaching today uh, with Sam. Tell us how we, this church here, can be praying for you and support you and love you. You know, you already have been praying and supporting, and we really do appreciate all of that. You know, you not only did you send Royce and Susan, I mean, they had a comfortable life here in Rogers, uh, in Pinnacle, it's beautiful, comfortable life that they have, but they chose to leave that and live as strangers and foreigners uh, in Belfast, and we'll hear a little bit more about that later on. But not only did they model that, but then they brought over some great teachers, Robert Cup. Mickey and Denise Rapier, Nick Rowland, Sue Addington, you guys have sent so many people, and of course, Sam and Amy Hannon, who are coming across uh, next year, but Nick Rowland is coming across in May. So you not only have supported us with your prayers, but you've also supported us with your presence, and that's been really appreciated. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We really do appreciate our partnership in the kingdom together, and we really do just want to you to feel part of what we're trying to do as ambassadors of the kingdom in the United Kingdom and in the island of Ireland. Awesome. Thank you, Stuart. We're going to pray for Stuart right now. And so thank you, God, for Stuart. We just are so grateful for him and his family. We just pray that as they live out the vision of fellowship and this connection, that we can be good friends to him and that we can honor you and that we can be the kind of people that are trusted with your glory, Lord, uh, that you would bless Stuart to do that and that you would equip his family to do a multiplication ministry that would go on and on for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, as we continue to worship, would you all stand with me as we declare the goodness of our King? Sing this with me, old things. And old things have passed away. Your love has the same your constant grace remains the cornerstone the things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again you cause your
me visite All my words fall short Oh my words fall short I've got nothing new How could I express Oh my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often but every song must end, and you never do. So I'll throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a Get up and- 
Are we thankful for Ty or what? Thanks, buddy. If you are a parent of an FSM student, that's what your students, you can have a seat. That's what your students experience every week over in FSM. And Ty has hopped over with us occasionally to lead us in worship, especially while Heath and Jessica are down in children's still with their baby, Marin. Let's keep praying for her. Hey, today's gonna be a little bit different. So we're gonna co-teach Daniel chapter one to you, Stuart and I. No subtitles, you gotta get with the accent. And it's also unique because we're actually joined today via the internet with many believers in Belfast who are watching with us. I guess it's three o'clock p.m. there. And so hello to all of our friends in Belfast. So open your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter one. Today we're beginning our new series on this Old Testament piece of scripture. And when you think of the book of Daniel, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Usually it's Daniel in the lion's den or perhaps um, Daniel dealing with his friends dealing with the fiery furnace. We think of the narratives contained in the book of Daniel. But did you know that the book of Daniel is actually not classified as a historical book, but it's actually classified as a book of prophecy. Our Old Testament contains 17 books that we call the prophets. There are 12 that we call the minor prophets, five that we call the major prophets. Daniel is one of the five major prophets. Now you might ask, what's the difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet? Well, it's not the significance of or the importance of their words as much as it is the length of the book. Major prophets simply have a higher word count. Daniel has 12 chapters. Now, Daniel doesn't really fit the mold of a typical Old Testament prophet. He did not deliver a public message to the nation of Israel. He is not called, he does not call himself a prophet, nor is he referred to as a prophet in the book. Uh, in fact, in the Hebrew collection of scriptures, Daniel is not classified with the prophets for them. He's classified in the writings. Why is that? Well, the book of Daniel contains uh, as many stories or narratives as it does prophecies. It comes across more historical than it does predictive. The book contains more stories than it does prophecies. It will give us six stories, and four visions. And, and Daniel actually is a historical figure in each of those stories. So Daniel is unique among the prophets. Half the book reads more like a historical book, like the book of Nehemiah or the book of Esther. And then you turn the page from Daniel chapter 6 to Daniel chapter 7, and it reads just like the book of Revelation, delivering us visions, apocalyptic visions of the future. So Daniel, uh, it's set historically in the period of the exile, like the book of Esther, but it's actually predating Esther by 120 years. So our time period here is roughly around 600 BC. The context of Daniel tells of the nation of Judah being overtaken by a powerful kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon and their king, Nebuchadnezzar, who will be a primary character in the first four stories of the book. The first two verses of Daniel chapter one set the scene. They read like this. In the third year of the reign of 
King Jehoiakim. That's the king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Think about those words. The Lord of Judah delivered Judah into the hand of a pagan king. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure in the house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful and mighty king of the Babylonians, raided Judah, the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel. He carried off treasures from the temple of God and he also carried off many of the Hebrew people. He took them away into exile. And this included Daniel and his friends, which Stuart will introduce us to today. They were taken captive to live in a foreign land, to serve foreign kings, and to live under Babylonian civil and religious laws. So the book of Daniel, like the book of Esther, is completely set outside of the promised land. And it tells the story of God's people living in exile in a foreign land. And it tells of the story of the the struggle of the characters wondering. Wondering if God's still sovereign. Wondering if there's a future hope for God's people. And wondering how do we maintain faithfulness to God while living in a pagan culture. Listen to that last question and see if it doesn't ring true for you and me. How do we maintain faithfulness to God while living in a pagan culture? I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. Now, in order to grasp the book of Daniel, we've got to understand Daniel in sets of two. We need to see the the twos or the pairings of Daniel. These five pairings will help orient us to the book. The first is you just need to understand it will come to us in two sections, the court stories and the visions. The book can be divided into chapters 1 to 6 that will deliver the narratives. Then chapters 7 to 12 will deliver the visions or the prophecies. We're going to spend eight weeks in the book of Daniel. We'll dedicate five weeks to the stories and three weeks to the prophecies. And I just want to warn you highly structured, organized type A people, we're going to go out of order. We're going to save chapter 9 till the very end. And I know this is going to bother you, but I promise you, It's going to make complete and perfect sense, I hope. We do have a study guide available for you. There's a version online. There's also some in the the foyer. The second pairing is it's written in two languages. In the original writings, it's written in both Aramaic and in Hebrew. It's as though Daniel were writing so that his neighbors in Babylon slash Medo-Persia could understand what he was talking about, but he also wrote in the Hebrew language, so that his people could clearly get the message of hope. And it comes in two literary genres. The the book contains historical narratives and apocalyptic prophecies or visions. And it gives us two points of view. Daniel will write in third person of his own experience when he delivers the stories. And then he'll shift to first person when he gives the visions. And we'll also have a first person point of view from King Nebuchadnezzar himself. It will give us two oppressors. There's two mighty kingdoms in the book, the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Now I want to give you a warning. Most people don't teach the book of Daniel in church. They usually teach the stories, but not the entire book. Well, why is that? This thing is tough. 
Do not take drugs and read the second half of Daniel. (laughs) Daniel himself said this about the visions. He said that these deeply troubled him and his thoughts. In chapter 8, he said, I am exhausted by writing these. I am appalled by these visions. And at the very end of the book, in chapter 12, this is what he told the Lord. Lord, I don't understand anything I just wrote. So you're going to have to give us, the teachers, some grace when we get into the second half of the book. We're going to do our best to lay it out for you and deliver it to you and hopefully understand it. Here are the themes of the book of Daniel. The first theme is we're going to discover, we're going to affirm God's providential rule over all people, all powers, and human history. So when you watch the news at night and you look at your TV and say, what's going on? I just want you to know God's in complete control. Amen? (laughs) Daniel will teach us that. No applause, save that for Stuart. (laughs) The second theme is how to live faithfully to God in a pagan culture, and that requires courageous living. We're gonna see that today in the the first story. The, The third theme is just know this. God's got a plan for the future, and it will transcend any king or any kingdom here on earth. Ultimately, Daniel's gonna offer us hope for the future. There is a kingdom coming that knows no end. And while kings and kingdoms on this earth will come and go, they'll rise and fall. There's an eternal king to come who will rule and reign forever. And we'll discover that. Charlie Dyer said this about the purpose of Daniel. Daniel's purpose in writing blended two themes, the the theme of prophecy, and piety. He wrote first to show God's future program for the nation of Israel. Second, he wrote to show the believer's present response, what the the believer's present response should be as they await the coming kingdom of God. So you could say it this way. We're gonna discover hope that inspires faithfulness. So there you have it. Our trajectory for the book of Daniel. Are you guys ready to go on the journey? All right, I'm gonna bring up Stuart. And we've asked Stuart to come all the way from Belfast, Northern Ireland to teach us the first of the six stories, Daniel chapter one, Daniel and his friends. Stuart, can I pray for you? Please do. Well, Lord, I pray that you would fill your brother Stuart with wisdom and truth and that you would impart that to our hearts as he uh, unveils the text to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sam. Thank you. So we're going to be jumping back into the first chapter of Daniel, verses 3 to 21. And there are two main reasons for doing that. The first is that these are by far the most important words you're going to hear this morning because it's the Word of God. And secondly, it'll maybe give your ears a wee bit of time to adjust to this weird accent that you're hearing at the front of the room. Uh, So let's read together from uh, Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. 
They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the King, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. So have you ever been a stranger or a foreigner in a different country? I know exactly how that feels as I stand here this morning. Perhaps it is appropriate that this morning you get a guy, when you're considering this theme of strangers and foreigners, you have a guy from Belfast speaking at a church, which I'm kind of guessing is majority American. Is that right? And of course, it's actually lovely coming from Northern Ireland to America. We speak the same language, sort of. Our culture is Western and similar, but there are always those wee things that catch you out. So when I ask for chips, I'm hoping for what you call fries, and chips are my crisps. When I talk about football, I mean what you call soccer, and you call football a game which, I, as far as I can see, you play it mostly with the, the ball in your hands, so we, I'm not sure what you're doing there. We means little, lift means elevator, Pants in the UK usually means underpants. Now, when someone from Northern Ireland talks about having some great crack, that simply means having some fun and banter with friends and not the narcotic. So just be, be very clear about that. I love some of the wonderful food that you have, which we don't always have. I remember going to a place called uh, Cracker Barrel. Have you ever been to Cracker Barrel? <laughs> they have something called grits. What is that? 
I'm not sure, entirely sure what it is, but Robert and Mickey took me to Cracker Barrel one time and I really enjoyed that. And you have something called Chick-fil-A. Now, if I could take Chick-fil-A back to Northern Ireland, that is definitely one thing that I would love to take back. But other than that, we are fairly similar. And it's just a delight for me to come and be with you here in the USA and experience your warm welcome. However, that would not have been the experience of the four lads from Judah that we read about in Daniel 1. You see, I'd like to take some time this morning to look together at the experience of being faithful to God as strangers and foreigners in three ways. First of all, in challenging and changing circumstances, we can choose our response. Secondly, with certainty of convictions, we can maintain our identity. And finally, as we are going to the city of our creator, we can be certain of our destiny. So in challenging and changing circumstances, we can't choose the world in which we live, but we can choose our response. As Sam read earlier this morning, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had conquered Judah and Jerusalem and taken captives back to Babylon. At least I got onto my Aer Lingus flight in Dublin voluntarily, but these guys didn't. The exile of the Jewish people by the Babylonians was anything but voluntary. The government and many of the people of Judah, they had turned their backs on God and their society had descended into sin and decadence. God had sent many prophets to warn them to turn away from their ways, perhaps most famously Jeremiah, but they had not listened. So finally, God sent Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, as his chosen instrument of judgment on a sinful nation. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and the people of Judah were captives following military conquest. The feelings they had about coming to Babylon are probably best summed up in a psalm that might be familiar to you. It's Psalm 137, and it says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. From the words of this psalm, we get the sense that this was not a happy set of circumstances. This was not a journey that they chose to take. They were not going on holiday or visiting friends. They were strangers and foreigners in a strange land. They were not in control of their circumstances, but they were in control of their response. How could they sing the songs of Zion and live their lives in this foreign land? by remembering Jerusalem, the city of God, and everything that that represented. You see, the call to faithfulness in our lives never happens in a vacuum. For the four lads from Judah, the test of their faithfulness to God would be played out in the crucible of exile in Babylon. But what about the rest of us? You see, none of us are really in control of the age we live in or the country we're born in or the geopolitical forces that play in our, in our day. I was born in the 1970s, and I know maybe I don't look it, but I was born in the 1970s in Belfast, Northern Ireland. 
That means I'm a, tri- I'm a child of the Troubles, a dark 30-year period in my country's history where sadly many Catholics and Protestants lost their lives during a period of deep sectarian conflict and violence. But even in a lovely country like America, you're not immune. I'm sure many of you remember 9-11 and the economic crash of 0809. And most recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. Remember that? Our call to being faithful to God is constant, even in challenging and changing circumstances in our world. For Daniel and his three friends, it was not only their circumstances that were changing, but also their names. You see, these, three, these friends had wonderful Hebrew names with special meanings, but their Babylonian captives imposed new names on them. Daniel's name in Hebrew means, God is my judge. But that was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, who was a Babylonian god, protect his life. Hananiah in Hebrew means the Lord shows grace. But that was changed to Shadrach, command of Aku, who was a Sumerian moon god. Mishael in Hebrew means who is what God is. And this is changed to Meshach, who is what Aku is. And then finally, Azariah, the Lord helps in Hebrew. But that was changed to Abednego, servant of Nego another Babylonian god. I think it's a bit of a shame that we seem to remember Daniel's friends by their Babylonian names. I blame Sunday school. Did anyone go to Sunday school and you were told to remember these guys' names by make the bed, shake the bed, and in the bed you go? No, maybe that was just, no, it was just no. <laughs> so that's why I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. However, we don't hear any objection from the lads about the change of their names. Perhaps it's because there's no particular scripture that for, or law that forbids this. Also, I don't know about you, but in my experience, there is very little we can do about the names people choose to call us. I don't know about Christians in America, but in the UK and Ireland, Christians are called a great many names that are not necessarily complimentary in any language. But this change of name seems to have just been superficial an external change only, imposed from the outside, but having no fundamental impact on the identity or the destiny of these men. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew who they were and the God whom they served. This was not a battle they chose to fight. That was to come with the next change, which brings me to our second point. With certainty of convictions, we can maintain our identity. The Babylonians not only changed their names, but they tried to change their diet. As is common practice in the pagan civilizations, the Babylonians would eat food which had been sacrificed to their gods, a form of worship to their gods. Now this, this was specifically and repeatedly forbidden in the Hebrew scriptures. When this fundamental clash of cultures came, Daniel chose to maintain his identity in God. Verse 8 reminds us, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And that would have been difficult. The diet of vegetables and water was definitely less appetizing, literally, than the king's portion of food and wine. 
just so you know, while I'm here in Arkansas, I am not under any sort of dietary restrictions. There is nothing in Scripture that I know that forbids me from eating absolutely anything. So just so you know that, particularly Mickey, who's taking me for lunch, um, I'm under no dietary restrictions whatsoever. However, when it came to Daniel and his friends, they knew God's laws. You see, much of the Old Testament books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they're filled with food laws for the Jewish people. They could only eat kosher food and do what the Babylonians, to do what the Babylonians are now asking them to do would be a terrible violation of those laws. And the history of the Jewish nation, as recorded in the Old Testament up to this point, contained many warnings from God about what would happen to his people if they disobeyed these laws. In fact, Daniel and his friends would have known the very fact that they were in captivity in Babylon was because the people of God had failed to keep the laws of God, including these dietary laws. And so Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, even when tempted with the best delicacies Babylon had to offer. And Psalm 137, which we read, gives us a clue as to what might help him in that resolve. How could they sing the songs, the Lord's songs in a strange land? By remembering Jerusalem and considering God's holy city as their highest joy. As Christians, if we are to live our lives in this strange and foreign world, like Daniel and his friends, we must remember Jesus Christ and all that he is, all that he has done for us, and consider Jesus and the eternal life that he calls us to as our highest joy. In the face of the temptations of this world, it is only by remembering whose we are and whom we serve and considering the joy that is set before us in Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit working within us that we will have the resolve to say no to sin. When I'm here in America, it might be easy for me to forget my national identity, but I have this. This is my British passport. So just in case I remember, I forget who I am whilst I'm here in America and maybe start talking all American and, and getting really comfortable here. If I forget who I am, I have a document that reminds me what country I'm from. And as Christians, we also have a reminder. We have the Bible to remind us that this world is not our home. We are living as strangers and foreigners and this document the Bible and all the truth and the wisdom it contains is God's reminder to us of which country is home for us. And it's not the UK and it's not even the USA. As Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And God will help us as he helped Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel and his friends. And that's an important point to remember as well, that their identity was not in their nobility, their physical health, their looks, their intelligence, their wit, their savvy, being in the know, their identity was in the fact that they were God's chosen people. We too must be careful not to attribute the blessings in our lives to ourselves 
but rather to remember and give thanks to God for his favor and blessing in our lives. They were strangers in a foreign land, but they resolved not to defile themselves and to be true to their identity in God because they remembered Jerusalem, the city of their God and their highest joy. Which brings me to our third and final point. When we are going to the city of our creator, we can be certain of our destiny. You may have noticed that Daniel 1 finishes in verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Here we have at the end of the first chapter in Daniel how the story of Daniel will end. The chapter began with Daniel being taken captive to Babylon, but it finishes here with Daniel staying in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. So pop quiz, what happened in the first year of King Cyrus? Well, if you've read the book of Ezra, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, in the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem, let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. Daniel knew that his stay in Babylon would not be permanent. Even after 70 years in captivity, he would still be remembering and looking for the city of God, Jerusalem. And it is to the rebuilding of Jerusalem that the end of Daniel 1 refers. And so we know as Christians, we must know that our stay in this world will not be permanent. Whether we have another 70 years or not, I can't say. But by faith, we are remembering and looking to the city of God. And we're in good company, not just Daniel, but all of the saints of the Old Testament, as Hebrews 11 and 12 reminds us. This is sometimes referred to as the hall of faith. It's a passage because it talks about the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. People like Abraham, who by faith made his home in the promised land like a stranger and of, in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country that is not their own, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Hebrews also refers to those who, who through faith shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames. And as you find out later in the book of Daniel, pretty soon our four heroes will be facing off against lions and fiery furnaces. And when Daniel finds out that he needs to choose between praying to the king of Babylon or being thrown into a den of lions, what does he do? He goes to his room, opens the windows towards Jerusalem, and he prays. You see, even in his darkest hour, Daniel was looking to the city of God where his destiny lay. And as, as disciples of Jesus, we can be certain of our destiny because we are going to the city of our creator, God. 
I like the way C.S. Lewis describes how we get hints and foreshadows of where we are going, even as we are living as strangers and foreigners in this world. In a sermon entitled The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, it's only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. The great news of the gospel is that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who trusts Christ as Savior becomes a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Even when this temporary life on earth is ended, they can be sure of their destiny with him. May I ask you this morning, does that include you? Are you trusting Christ for your eternal destiny? The door is still open. The invitation is still here. If that's something you'd like to speak to someone about this morning, I'm sure Sam or any of the team here would be more than happy to talk and pray with you about that. But as we end this morning in Daniel 1, I hope we will remember that even as strangers and foreigners in this world, that in challenging and changing circumstances, we can choose our responses. When we have certainty of our convictions, we can maintain our identity in Christ. And when we are going to the city of our creator, we can be certain of our destiny. You've heard that I'm the city director of the C.S. Lewis Institute, so I hope you don't mind if I give the last word to C.S. Lewis. I hope that's okay. You see, at the end of the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the great lion and Christ-like character in his tales, describes how the children finally reach their destiny in the city of their creator. And he says this, the term is over, the holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, Aslan no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read and which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us this morning and help us to remember, like Daniel, to be faithful to you as we live as exiles in a strange and foreign world. Help us by your spirit to be your citizens of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Folks, I'm gonna invite you to stand because the guys are gonna lead us uh, in, in singing another hymn just now. I love this hymn, uh, it's, it's a based on an old, it's an ancient Irish hymn. And it's actually based or inspired by a story that, about something that happened to St. Patrick. Because St. Patrick actually, when he was in Ireland and there was a pagan king there, he had to make a decision as to whether he was going to obey the pagan king 
or whether he was going to be true to Christ. And he chose to be true to Christ. And he did not want to obey the pagan king of Ireland, but he wanted to obey the high king of heaven. So let's pray, or let's sing this praise together.
Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the high king of heaven. And we bow only to you. So Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us resolve as we live here as foreigners and strangers in this land? As citizens of heaven to give you glory and honor in the way that we live our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you thank our friend Stuart Horner for blessing us today? If you need prayer, our prayer team is available in the prayer room to your right down the hall. Come join us. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Watch for ice on the sidewalks. Be safe out there.